100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Jason Red of Timber Ninja Outdoors. Jason has been hunting hard this year, chasing mountain bucks in North Carolina and nearby states while product testing mobile hunting gear. We discuss the struggles of running a business, late season weather, key food sources, what led Jason to succeed on a big mountain buck, packing the deer out on Thanksgiving Day to make it back in time for dinner, mountain buck genetics, American-made mobile hunting products, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a really cool story coming from Ben Shockey out of Pennsylvania. So Ben wrote in, On the evening of the PA archery opener, I arrowed a nice eight point at 37 yards. He tipped over after just a few bounds, and just like that, my Pennsylvania buck hunting season was over. I had found this relatively remote ridgetop during some preseason scouting over the Labor Day weekend when they were already some acorns on the ground. On Saturday, the acorns are crashing to the forest floor at a rate that I had never seen in 30 plus years of hunting. But this isn't a story of my hunt. It's about the previous Tuesday evening. I had just switched from expandable broadheads to the iron wheel fixed and was trying to confirm that they flew the same as my practice points. When they didn't, I emailed Todd Schweitzer of Brush Mountain Archery. Todd, my broadheads are heading way left at 20 yards. I'm talking three to four inches. He replied within an hour and told me he'd be at the shop at 7.30 p.m. After I shot through paper, Todd confidently said, well, it's not the bow, it's you. He explained how I was torquing the bow due to my grip and that the grip tape I put on my bow wasn't doing me any favors. My first shot with a broad head after maybe five minutes of coaching from Todd was dead center. I tried another just to confirm and got the same result. When I got to camp Friday night, I cut the grip tape off my bow and practiced more with my broad heads out to 40 yards. When that buck came through, I was 100% confident I could make the shot. Todd has been working late night after late night, helping so many local hunters get ready in time for the opener. He took a few minutes out of his insanely busy schedule that Tuesday night leading to a memory that will last a lifetime. Todd, I simply can't thank you enough. Well, congratulations, Ben. That is an awesome buck, especially for opening day. And also just, and and it's awesome how Todd was so nice and willing to do that. And because as much as as, uh, all of us want to be prepared, sometimes there's some things that happen and we let things slip through the cracks. And the fact that he's willing to, dedicate his time like that that's a as a real shop owner that cares so uh and all all accounts congrats there in other news this week i don't really have anything else that that i want to share here in this intro so all i'll say is i really appreciate everybody listening and if you would please share this with your friends family whoever you think you could provide value to through this podcast and giving a rating a review if you listen on apple podcast spotify youtube whatever else. I really appreciate that. So with that said, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week and we will talk to you soon. All right, we're live. Jason Red, welcome back to the, the podcast. This is your third appearance this year. You're starting to become kind of a superstar. Yeah, I know you've totally made me that. Um, I, I never would be where <laughs> I am in life without, without you. Um, uh, yeah. That's I why know. I grew, grew the beard out just to start now establishing my dominance yeah because you had the mustache there for a while and uh then then you realize that i can't grow a beard so you have to grow 
Yeah, that's that's a very you know man to man full full beard. Yeah, yeah, they don't get much fuller than this. I mean, my mustache is stellar too, um, but I'll, I'll let you keep that title. <laughs> well, your, I, hey, your, your, uh, your beard's getting a little gray though. You're starting to starting to age a little bit. It's starting to get a little gray. It's wisdom and stress. Um, yeah, that's where it comes from. I was noticing like Nathan always compliment, comments on my beard or compliments my beard. And Nathan's about five or six years older than me. And I realized that he has way less gray hair than I do in his beard. So I've also lived a wild life, Bo. So that probably has something to do with it. Yeah. I, yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah. And then now with uh, um, owning multiple businesses and going through all that, like, yeah, that, that doesn't, uh, doesn't make it go the other way. No, I don't think so. She's got sirens going on out there. Yo, cops coming by the shop here. Low crime area, though. I don't know what that was for. Don't hear that much. Yeah. No, that's I was surprised to hear that. But um, anyways, Jason, uh, yeah, thanks for, for coming back on the show here. So obviously, um, real, well, I guess not obviously, but for anybody listening, Jason and I talk on uh, a daily basis, you know, sometimes more than I'd like uh, from, from the Timber Ninja aspect and uh, – but we we talk deer hunting a lot, even though we're, we're we focus a lot on company things and everything. But we we talk a lot about deer hunting, and you've this this season kind of started off a little bit weird for you as far as you were supposed to go on some western trips and supposed to go to Alaska, and because of you know business essentially, it didn't didn't end up working out, and you were kind of down in the dumps about it, but you, you seem to pick up pretty good during deer season and get out in the woods quite a bit and put some serious effort in the mountains there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always try to plan my hunting season around like doing some type of, you know, out of state, like big adventure trip, whether it be going out West or going Alaska. And I'd been planning to do this Alaskan blacktail solo Kodiak hunt, um, with my, longbow for a couple years and i put all my deposits down in the beginning of the year book my air charter had everything worked out had a buddy that was supposed to go uh that i really trusted so it wasn't going to be solo and then he backed out and i was still committed but then it got down to time to leave and we really just had so much going on with timber ninja that i i just didn't feel comfortable leaving for 14 days so i had to um not you know, do that trip, which sucks. I mean, it sucks mentally, man, you, you know, doing big trips like that, that are that high value, you know, as far as risk and everything, like there's a lot of um, thought and mental preparation that goes into that. You know, I mean, you've done them, you know, like you're out there by yourself and, or, you know, even with a couple people, it's still a big adventure when you go to Alaska because you get dropped off and doing it solo, especially in bear country, man, there's a lot of stuff you got to think about, um, risk analysis. And I'd, been toying with that for a few years and finally committed that I was game to do it by myself or with somebody that I felt was, um, you know, very capable. And, um, but you know, he fell through and I'd really gotten myself right to go by myself and spend that many days there. And yeah, it sucks, man, to have to let it up, but you know, I'm not too old. Uh, I, I want to do it next year. Um, and that's my plan. But, and then when that fell through, I was like, Oh, I'll just throw in an elk hunt and go, you know, elk hunting for seven, eight days or something and got ready to leave. Actually was leaving, packed up on the road and some stuff went down at Timber Ninja that I just like, I need to be here. So I 
pulled myself out. You know, that's kind of sacrifices you have to make when you run a small business, you know, um, until it gets to the point where it's just printing money, right? <laughs> it's on autopilot. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, once I had to do that, man, I just dedicated myself to going all in on whitetail hunting this year, which I normally do. But I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of state, hunt a couple states, and I'm going to focus on some deer here at home. I've been hunting the same deer here at home for four years, which we can talk about that, you know, later on. But we all know people that have history with those types of deer, like how much of a mental challenge that is, you know, going after the same target buck for so long. And so, yeah, I mean, I hit it hard. Uh, I mean, I, I always do a lot of scouting in preseason and summer and, but I did a lot more this year and really wanted to set myself up for a very successful year. And honestly, like I didn't kill a lot of deer. I mean, I killed one buck so far this year, but I had some, some great hunts and great experiences. Like I did, uh, and my out, I did two out of state. I went to two different States multiple times. Uh, well, one on one time, but I had encounters and opportunities on mature bucks and all those. And for me, when they, you get them in that range, um, I feel like that's a big success for me and killing them. You know, if you're able to capitalize on that, it's just ice on the cake. But overall, like I, I, I feel, you know, I still got some season left here and I'm focused on a, a deer I've been after, but I, if my season was to end the day, like I, I would, I would feel very happy with the season I've had. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I want to go back to what you're talking about with Alaska and you know, as, as much as that sucked that you had to pull out, I think, I think overall it was a smart decision because when you're, you can't go into one of those hunts, not fully mentally there and ready for it. And if you're going to be stressed out about business or whatever else it is, you know, name the thing at home that's, that you're thinking about and you're not aware in bear country or the weather or whatever's happening, like that, that can put you in a pretty you know, rough spot to be able to do. Oh. That, that's not simple. No, I mean, I think, you know, I was talking to you and I was down to the point, like my plan was to ship all my stuff out a month in advance. But when I started seeing things coming apart, I was like, well, I'll just carry everything with me. And I'd gotten to a point, you know, I was going to make a last minute decision. And, and by doing that, I was also going to make some, um, I was going to leave some stuff behind that I think could have put me in a bad place, you know, just because, trying to make it happen like some things i was like yeah. ah if i have this i know i can survive but this would make it a lot better and it may be a little bit you know it could turn into an epic but uh you know i think i'm gonna be good and that's not a good way of going about doing something you know i, I mean I, i'm not trying to be some tough guy or something but like i've done a lot of risky things in rock climbing and stuff like that that where you have to do a lot of risk analysis and i felt like i was really pushing myself to the limit of trying to make it happen when you know things just weren't setting up and yeah you got to be prepared in those situations because you could get injured and you have bad weather fogged in or whatever and a plane can get to you and you can sit there and bleed out you know or what yeah little things happen in the back country that can be when you're that far disconnected can turn into a big situation for you oh and, and uh, yeah in a, in a short amount of time like that's it, you're you're exactly right and it's it's one, it's just one of those things. And, you know, being by yourself is a whole nother world. Cause I mean, I, I know how alone you feel even with, when you're with a couple of people, when you get dropped off like that and you're like, Oh, did I forget this? You know, what, what's going, you know, I forgot to send this email. I forgot to do this. And it starts, you, your mind starts going in wrong directions. And I was telling you, even when I was in Alaska at first, I was like, I felt anxious 
and I was not in the same situation you were, but you know, three, three days in, then I got settled into to what I was doing, but I also had, you know, the gear necessary. I had, you know, other people there and was able to, to, to move forward with it. But it's, there's, there's something to be said about that when, you know, it sounds, it sounds pretty cool to, to own a company in the, in the hunting industry, but that also comes with the aspect of, okay, most people are, whether we like it or not, most people are buying their products right before the season. And (laughs) so that from a, when you're making whitetail hunting products, mobile hunting products, that means that yeah, August and September are crazy. And being a small company, there's not like a lot of people that can backfill for some of those different things. And, you know, as, as a company, those are things that, you know, we're working on to, to make better. So you can go on those trips and do that. And, and I guess I should say too, and I don't think I've ever actually said it on, on the podcast, but I I'd had it in a, in a post on social media, but you know, as of this year that I came on with you guys as an actual partner in Timber Ninja and I'm running the marketing and everything there is everyone's, you know, heard the ad at the beginning and heard you on here before, but you know, so I'm, I'm more ingrained in the business and seeing how it's going and, and trying to run a small business and grow a small business in what we think is the right way. Um, you know, that's obviously our, our interpretation of it, but it's not easy and it, it takes uh, a lot of sacrifice and a lot of effort to do so. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it right, I think you got to have a really solid foundation. It takes a lot of time to build and, um, but you know, when you have that good solid foundation, that's when it becomes easy to be able to let go and leave and not be stressed, you know? And I think a lot of people, they, they see the end result of starting a business, but they don't understand what it takes to get to that. It's like, you know, you see a basketball player on TV making millions of dollars playing a sport that he dreamed about, but nobody ever sees the hours that were put in before he got to that point. And that's the way, cause I mean, at the end of the day, most small businesses fail within five years. Um, which yeah. we're about to be after out of that five year point. And, you know, if you're pushing the envelope hard enough, you're always going to feel like you're not performing as well as you need to. And you're always on the verge of failure. Um, so I don't know if that'll ever go the way, to be honest. <laughs> no, I don't No, I think when you, when you have that mindset, it, it doesn't. Cause like, you know, looking at it from when, you know, when we started off the year and we had these goals for, for Timber Ninja and everything, and they were, you know, some pretty, big goals and you know coming up towards the end of the year here we didn't necessarily hit those all of those goals but when you look back at it it's like we did really good but mm-hmm. when you when you have these expectations that are are super high sometimes it's it it gets in your own head is that until you can step back and look at it it's like okay we we actually did better than we thought yeah and i think you know people need to look at that and you know we probably don't need to spend a ton of time talking business and entrepreneurship or, you know, motivational ethics. But like when I was a, cause I, most people don't talk about hunting and hear hunting stories, but you know, when, when I was like at a pro level of racing bikes, I had a coach and he would make me put a goals list every year for what I wanted to achieve in that year. And he wanted it in three different tiers. And the highest tier he had was what he called a shoot in the stars goal like for me shooting the stars goal was to try to win national champion, uh, be a national champion. And 
that was a goal like in my head, like I, I knew I wasn't quite ready, but his theory, and I think this applies to business and it can apply to hunting or whatever, is if you set a really, really high goal that's out of reach and that's what you're focused on, it makes the other goals a lot easier to, to reach. And that's like what you just talked about. Like we had really high goals for this year and we got to the end of the year and we didn't hit that highest goal that we had, but we had dominated coming up through that stuff that was yeah. honestly probably more realistic. And then you yeah, learned no. where you, you, ma- you made mistakes. And then, you know, in a couple of years, you, you potentially can hit that shooting the stars goal. If you keep putting that work in and the effort and, you know, the risk, you got to take risks to be successful too. Well, and, and I mean, that, that, that translates to hunting so well. Like, I mean, that's the way I look at, you know, deer hunting, you know, here in Pennsylvania, like I, I've always, at least in the last, I don't know, know how many years, but like, I'll have this goal of a particular buck or a caliber of deer. And like, I focus on that and I might end up shooting something that's lesser of a, you know, a size or whatever than that, but it's still really good for the area or whatever your goals are. And, and I kind of do it that way. Like I'm, I would, from the beginning, I'd be happy with the mid level, but I try to set my goals for the highest level. And then, you know, somewhat sometimes come in between there. Yes. That's that's just fine. I agree. hundred percent. Like I have a goal of killing like a buck here in the one forties to one fifties. And cause it's hard to find those here. Like they are kind of, you know, a one forty one fifty where I live and, you know, anywhere in this part of Appalachia, is essentially a world-class deer, you know, <laughs> for our region. There's not many of them that yeah. come out. So that's a goal. And I, I know that's always been a goal of Nathan's and, you know, him looking for that goal, he ended up killing a 172, you know, like, yeah. uh, but it was just because he had that goal and he was focused on finding that deer and spent countless hours looking for something in that class. And he found it after I forgot, you know, he's been hunting where he lives for what 40 seasons or something like that 42 years i think he said 40, yeah 42 years it's taken Does that sound but, right no he doesn't seem that old no he's 40 it's about right he's 47 48 so he okay. could start hunting at seven or eight yeah it's about right okay. so you Got think that. about it took that long you know um but yeah you know if you if that, if that target's always out there you're going to be pounding and look for it man where that's you know business hunting hobbies relationships whatever you know it's good to have goals yeah no and i think that's that's a a good uh topic to to lead us in here and especially with the the beginning of the year coming up always seems like the time for goals and goal setting and 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 being able to to you know try to better yourself and whatever aspect of life that comes to but you know one one thing that so when I came down to North Carolina for the Timber Ninja open house, I went out with you. You wanted to show me the area that you were looking for this deer you've been chasing for, for four years and get to, to hike in there and see it and see how it, you know, compares to the stuff that, that I'm used to. And it was, it was really cool to get to see the type of terrain and environment because like North Carolina, the mountains that, that you're hunting is like, they're, they're tall, they're big, big mountains, big terrain. And what, what I saw was like a, a definite challenge right off the bat. And we've talked about this before, but is the fact that there's no timber cutting or logging or anything there. So like those deer can move like crazy, depending on what mass crop is doing, depending on foliage on the trees, because, you know, it reduces cover quite a bit as the season goes on. Like that was, that was really interesting to me. 
Oh yeah, man. It's a wild place to hunt, man. Uh, it's, we have really good deer, man. And it's so fun hunting them. It's an adventure, but it's definitely not a place I recommend somebody coming on their, on an out of state hunt, you know, cause it's going to take you a lot of time to, you know, I've been doing, I've been up here for 14 years and I'm feel like I'm just starting to like understand and I'm getting a way more consistent with being able to find the big, the bigger, older deer. Um, yeah, but it's came from man. And I love, I love things. I mean, I am a masochist, uh, you know, I like pain and suffering and hunting our way we do. That's what it is. You know, um, you got it. I don't like the deer that I took you to show you that area. A deer I've been hunting four years. Like I never named deer. I think it's corny. No offense to anybody. Um, but I have named this deer. I named it Everest because I feel like the years I've been hunting that deer, I've um, every year I've put in enough miles and enough elevation gain and loss that I could at least summon it Everest one time a year. And, <laughs> I love uh, that. So like, you know, that's I, I've dedicated in this year. Like I have enough Intel that I feel like I felt very confident that I was, I'm going to be able to get on him. And I really thought I was gonna be able to do it early season, but I got my, but handed to me early season this year. Like I was talking, I believe you, I was talking to Johnny and Nathan about October. Cause I'd hunted so hard. Cause our season opens in September. I hunted that deer so hard early season and I just felt whipped, um, I, you know, even in October. But this year though, I saw way more deer than I ever have. I'd passed some bucks. I passed a, a two, eight points that were three-year-old, you know, 100, 115 inch deer, which here I would say 90% of, bow hunters and hunting national forest here would have shot those deer in a heartbeat um so i had a good year it's just i could not get on the deer i was after and um so i you know I, I'm, I'm still after him he i've got him pinned now like i'm just waiting here in the next week or two i think it's gonna happen yeah well you you like this this late time frame anyways i mean you've talked about it with me before you always like that late bow season december time frame down in you know in, in north carolina yeah i mean it's when i historically hunting and killing and looking at trail camera footage like i find that most of our mature deer move between december 13th and um you know up until early january our season closes on the 31st but i i see more mature deer on their feet for that quote unquote second rut because our our peak ruts around thanksgiving um so that really you know essentially it seems like there's like a 28 day or so window between your typical peak rut until like what they call the second rut is what i've noticed and like looking at yep trail cam history it definitely shows that it's about a 28 day cycle from there and on the front side of that i see mature deer moving you'll see them a day or two moving around november the first and I always get good deer on camera around November 15th, 16th. So it's kind of like that thing. Like when I go out Midwest, like, you know, let's say Ohio, the peak around there, you know, based on biologists, they say is around six. And that's when all deer are running, going crazy. But you tend to see the mature deer on their feet around, you know, right there you, you, in the Midwest, you'll see a, a, a good move around October the 15th every year. If there's a cold front there, you'll see some big deer get killed and get on their feet. And then it seems like, if that cold front hits at the end of October, that's when a lot of big deer go, hit the ground too. But if you look at Ohio, for instance, the big buck registry thing, you look at their bigger deer, most of them are killed around Halloween or they're killed around Thanksgiving. So it's like 
before and then after that peak time. And, and I think that yeah. really correlates in a lot of regions when you look at it. Like I don't keep journals or anything. Um, you know, it's kind of like my trail cameras. I don't keep a pin where they're at. I just know in my head where everything is. Uh, <laughs> same thing with my like history of hunting animals. Like it's all in my head or the f- pictures that I keep. So yeah, I get stoked for this time of year. It's hard though, man. You know, when you've been busting your butt and all year and you get this late season, like getting that extra energy to go up and start doing, you know, long sits again and it's cold and quiet. You know how, you know, those winter woods are desolate places, dude. Yeah, man, this is, this is the, uh, I guess first time and I can't remember how many years where I have a tag going into late season and for us in Pennsylvania, which opens the day after Christmas and I'm really not looking forward to it. Like I, 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 it's, it's such a tough, it's such a tough time to, to kill a mature deer. And they, they, you know, they've been pressured, you know, where, where I'm at, they've been pressured like crazy all through gun season. And, and a lot of them have so much stress from, from the gun seasons, they're dropping their antlers and like, they're just like, and then, but there is there is also a time frame here where we're almost like in a because we're ahead of you a little bit as far as the rut, but almost like a third rut that I'll see come in if you get like where some of those fawns are are coming into estrus in that first week of January. And Johnny really likes taking advantage of that time, and he likes tracking them with the flintlock. I man, I don't think I'm, I'll probably take the bow out versus the flintlock as far as I just still don't feel confident yeah. enough of that going off um, when I need it to. But, you know, like one thing that I'll probably be targeting on is areas that, you know, not really hunting a specific deer, but one area that I have historical trail camera knowledge on that, that bucks seem like they bachelor up in areas that have thermal cover and some, some of these slopes that are, then and, and I found a bunch of beech nuts and black cherries they're feeding on here in December and I'm like that'll probably continue through the late season I'll focus on that but then other areas that have a lot of good acorn crop and have higher deer populations because there's that chance of them coming in you know later as far like maybe some does that weren't bred that are coming in for the third cycle or or whatever and uh I it's I I honestly have at the time of recording this, it's December 12th and I've, you know, the season rifle season closed on Saturday and I had the best rifle season that, that I had had. Well, I I actually have never hunted a full rifle season because I've always been out of vacation for work at that point, if I had a tag, you know, and, uh, so I'd only would hunt weekends, but the, I guess I've been just kind of taking a little bit of a, a break here before I get out in the woods, but just going to get out and try to scout and find the, find the sign and where I think they're going to be feeding at and really try to play the weather a lot. Do you, do you play a lot with weather as far as when you're going to hunt in late season? I try to man, like, I, I, cause after I killed on Thanksgiving, um, I've kind of taken some time off cause like we get two, two deer tags here, two buck tags and the deer I've been after, like I, after about year two, I lost all interest in shooting him with a gun. Like I felt like I had that amount of connection in history, you know, that I wanted to make it as hard as I could for myself or not as hard, you know, I shoot traditional equipment, but I told myself I was not going to shoot that deer with anything but a bow. So like I've resisted going into gun hunt that area and, um, focusing on, um, with the bow, which our bow season opened up again Sunday. 
and we had a weather pattern come through this weekend. We had a lot of rain over the weekend and, um, I felt last night was going to be a good, cause we have a cold front coming into like yesterday's high was 42. So I went out yesterday evening, but it's just not quite right. I, I feel like next week, there's a chance this week a little bit, but I, I feel a lot more confident about next week as we get closer to that, you know, that 17th to 23rd is just when I've seen the most uh, activity. So regardless of weather, I, I think I'm just going to be there. Um, not all day sits because I don't typically see them moving as much midday as they do in the first rut in that second one. It's It yeah. seems there's a little bit more evening activity than you would in the first rut and a lot of like nine to 11. And so I'm going to kind of go all in on that um, all next week, really. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I feel the same way. But I don't know why it is, but you don't see like some of those. I mean, I'm sure it happens, but not as often as far as those midday roamers that you see during that, that first rutting period. Yeah, not as much. I mean, we I do have a tendency to see more mature roamers show up that time, though. Like deer I've never seen before. And at this mm-hmm. specific spot where I'm hunting this deer I've been after, he'll be, he becomes active during that time of year, that late rut. And then there's this monster that's far bigger than him. Um, I mean, we we're guessing guessing he's, you know, easily 150, 10 point. Um, he shows up every year in this spot around the 23rd to the 25th. You only catch him on one day. He shows up and he's gone. I've never seen him the rest of the year, but the, around that time frame. Really? Yeah. And 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 daylight. Yep. He show up. It's weird. I I caught him two years ago on one camera that I had and I caught him last year on another one, but it was essentially around the same was, it was like one was on the 23rd and other was on the 24th or something like that. They were a day apart, but both of them were like eight 30 in the morning to the dot. No, no, that's crazy. I, you know, I, I think Jason, I'm going to have to come down and help you out during yeah. that time frame. You know what I mean? Like sit in the spot that, the others, you know, area, you know, close by so that just to make sure he doesn't come by there, man, you know, 
I, I did, I did that. Uh, actually, you know, Jordan, <laughs> my business part or business partner, he, he's been on a big buck for a couple of years and just hasn't seen him any sign of him this year. And he's been struggling getting on a big deer. And like in this spot, like, you know, I've seen, since you some pictures, like I've got a couple big deer in here right now and I've got two stand locations that are key. And I was like, dude, once you come in and let's just tag team it. I was like, cause you know how it is. You get caught on a certain deer and I, I don't want to do this again. I, I, this is the worst, longest I've ever ran on one, but it just consumes you. You know, if you're that diehard on hitting a goal. Right. And I just want him dead. I want him to die on natural causes or by me or, you know, like I told Jordan, I was like, I'd much rather you kill him than somebody else kill him. Uh, but I, I kind of just want him gone. Yes. You don't have to think about it. Mate. <laughs> I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. And that's something I changed in my plan this year. Like the last couple of years, I've been all in on that deer and that's it. Well, this year I was like, I'm going to hunt this deer hard. And then when rifle season goes out or comes in, I'm going to go hunt another area that I've been wanting to really focus on that I kind of play with every year, but don't focus on it. And I've stuck to that plan. And then I said, if I was the kill during rifle season, I was going to either go out and just scout or I was going to wait till bow season to go after this deer. And that's, it's so far the plans worked out. So we'll have to check back in after the first year and see if the, uh, the final part of my goal list is <laughs> accomplished. <laughs> Well, before, before we get into the rifle season, I, so you said there's two like key stand locations. What, what do you, why do you think those are key locations for hunting this deer? Um, cause they're two historic community, uh, community rub locations that are just set up properly in the, the terrain. To, cause this, this area is essentially a long national forest section that runs out on a main ridge that's surrounded by ag all around it. And so these areas just how the terrain lays are the best areas for travel. And that's, we don't get a lot of scrapes up here, but you'll see community scrapes and they're pretty heavy on those. Like I found one this year. That's a new one that I put a camera on that I, just a spot I've been overlooking for some reason. And I put a camera on this community scrape because it, it, it's a, it's a, a saddle on the, the main ridge where it comes to a, essentially a, a, a head. It's a North South main ridge but there's all these like terrain features drainages coming up right here at this saddle to meet. And I went down there and checked it out this year. I don't know why I've been bypassing it. I checked it out and there was a big roto um, bush right in the center of the saddle. And up under it was like three scrapes and like they had opened up those three scrapes and they were horning the roto. So I was like, man, this is an active area. And I put a camera on it in December, hunted it for two days, saw two bucks off of it in October and then I didn't go back in there until just really uh, last week and check that camera just to see. And I had, this is crazy for up here. I had 10 different bucks on that scrape. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they were doing you, some crazy and, and, stuff. I sent you pictures, the videos, like every mature yeah. deer in there was getting up on his back legs, going crazy, like stuff we just don't see that much around here. And I, I don't know why that one scrape causes that. Like it, maybe it's because there's just more bucks hitting it that causes them to get that more fired up. But and they really weren't working the scrape as much as they were just really wearing the licking branches out, which I we see a lot of that here. They'll hit the licking branches way more than just sitting there just digging a hole. Yeah, oh, most definitely. And do you feel like do you feel like that deer's living nearby? Like, do you think he's bedding nearby that scrape, or do you think that that's more of kind of like a, a rut, like travel spot for him that I'm, he's leaving scent on? I know uh, late season he tends to favor this West side more cause there's more rhododendron over there. 
because the east okay. side is more open big woods you know um not as much roto so when those open big woods drop all their foliage it's you know you can see across there pretty good so he 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 transitions to that area uh in the summertime he's more on the south end um he beds over on that end but he will like i found this deer originally um on some private land that i hunt it's a little small piece like about two miles as a crow flies i found him there and then by coincidence found he lived at this spot so he does <laughs> go back and forth during the rut because uh, I usually was getting him over on that private land spot uh, right there, like towards the end of gun season, like around December 1st, he would show up for a few days and run that area. And then I found that he was actually living across this road, you know, and way down this other mountain range. So yeah, it's, it's weird how much they can roam here, but yeah, he definitely calls that area home. That's his area. Um, and there's a couple other deer in that. Re- I mean, it's a long Ridge system. I mean, we're talking three, three to four miles long. So it's a pretty big area in there. Well, and I think, I think something to note from that and something that I see in, in the areas that I'm at is like, it actually helps when, when the foliage comes off the trees, as far as learning a little bit where they're going to be bedding or living at, because it narrows down the areas to where they, where they can be at. And in my opinion, like, you know, area for me, I see, especially when the weather gets bad, it's like anything that has conifer trees and giving some cover from the weather, like that tends to be, you know, some more bedding locations and, and, or areas that have, that do have mountain laurel rhododendron, they, they start to favor that even more than early season when there's a bunch of, you know, other trees, beach brush and everything that has a lot of, a lot of foliage on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of weather, you know, you mentioned that earlier. One thing I noticed around here, you know, <clears throat> we're in the mountains and I'd say we're 10 degrees cooler than the, the flatlands around us, but we're still not a really cold area like you guys, you know, like a really cold day up here these days. If you get down in the teens, the single digits, that's very uncommon and um, really cold for here. And, you know, here lately, even like, you know, the 20s is not very common anymore. And I think, you know, used to, you always think, oh, a a clear, cold day, that first cool, cold day, you're going to see a lot of movement. I don't ever see that. I I think that they're, they really hunker down on those cold, first couple cold days. And you really see them right after that when it starts to warm up a little bit. Whereas where you're at, you know, they're so used to the cold, it, they will be a little bit more active on something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just my theory. Well, I, I will say though, that like I used to be so excited anytime I'd see a big snowstorm coming in, I'm like, Oh, it's going to get a moving, you know, cold front snow. And it seems like the day that that comes in that front with that, especially with precipitation, they don't move as much as the day after the day after it starts clearing up, you know, maybe a little sunny, maybe it doesn't even have to be as cold. And they move more that day than they do the initial storm period. Now, obviously there's, there's things that can happen in, in any circumstances and, and deer will move. But for me, I feel like that's what, what I've seen uh, more so in, in the areas that, that I've spent the most time in, but that's, that's uh, really interesting on how that works there. Yeah. Yeah. Same. You know, there's, obviously statistically things can work the other way, but just as a whole, yeah. like I, just cameras and everything. Like, so it makes me feel better when it's real cold and I can just be like, no, I'm going to sleep in just cause it's a strategy suggestion. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, part yeah, of my yeah. strategy. 
yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm, this this just isn't gonna work. I need I need to work. I need to you know get some stuff done with you know the businesses, and, and I'll, I'll get out there once it starts to warm up and the deer start yeah. moving a little bit. Yeah, there's no reason to be out here on a cold day. I'm wait till it's in fifties. <laughs> yeah, and what about the other the other spot, the other setup? What does that look like? It's um, it's on that. So you got that main ridge, and then you got a little finger coming off, um, coming off the west side, and there's just that finger it's it's pretty steep but it has just a couple little humps in it you know where the elevation changes and there's some uh, a good community scrape up there and they've they really hit that scrape really good i mean if they show up on that scrape that the one i told you i just put a camera on this year and found they were hitting both scrapes that same day so i feel like you know, power of numbers. If you have two guys covering both of those areas, like when they move, it's going to happen. And I normally don't do this, um, but I am going to do it this year just because like just over historically, like understanding that these bucks only hit these areas every four or five day rotation, or they may hit it heavy for two days. Um, I am going to sit that. I'm just going to set that straight is what I'm going to do. I normally wouldn't do that, but I, that's my plan because they're hitting it. And I feel like if I put my time in and sit there that I'll, I'll see what, what I'm after. I, I feel. Yeah. I mean, there's no use in overthinking it when, when that's, it's telling you that that seems to be the, the spot to, to go to. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you know how it is, man. Like we talk about this, you know, there's areas in the mountains that will pinch deer down to using a consistent trail. But for the most part, when you watch them, they just kind of those areas that pinch down, they'll hit that, but then everything else, they're just sporadic and just go wherever they want. So, mm-hmm. so like really finding that trail that they're using to get to that scrape or to scent check that, you know, is, I, it's really hard. I feel now, you know, on those scrapes, I, you do have to be very cognizant of, um, of the bucks that don't come in, come in and hit the scrape, but are scent checking it. So like you do, I'm not a big wind guy up here cause our wind. So, you know, inconsistent. I don't think deer really use it a lot, but I do feel like they're pretty consistent with using that wind to wind check. I don't think it really dictates their travel per se as much. I think thermals do a little bit more of that, but I do feel that wind and thermals definitely um, will have them using one side of the scraper, the other to scent check it based on what the wind's doing that day. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And do you, do you find that on the the tops and stuff of those bridges that you do get a little bit of of wind or you know from the one thing that was interesting about when i walked the area is there's not much of flat spots like even the tops are like kind of knife ridges where like what i'm more used to is like you get maybe a steep side hill and it might be flat for a little ways or have more rolling train then drop off again where you're dealing with a lot of like kind of knife ridges per se do you do you find that you get any of the prevailing winds, uh, you know, on those tops like that? Sometimes depends on if it's just like one straight ridge that runs a good ways. Like, yeah, it's a little more consistent up there than it is when you start dropping down into the you know thermal hubs and the drainages and like finger ridge stuff that has a lot of different changes in terrain. Like that causes the the vortexes to happen, you know. Um, but yeah. up there on well, those straight about ridges, it, the, the wind's coming across and it's hitting all these different train features and just like doing such, you know, weird stuff. And it's like, it's, it's really tough when you start dropping off the tops to get anything consistent. It yeah. doesn't matter where you're at. Like we, we deal with the same thing here. 
yeah, it, it, it acts like a pinball essentially. Yeah, exactly. But, but the only thing you can rely on, and I think the deer do too, is um, especially your older bucks is if you get into some of these areas that are north facing and have, you know, like spring heads or whatever, you tend to see thermals to be really consistent there and consistent by meaning they, this one spot that I took you into those thermals in there, it doesn't matter what time of day always are pulling downhill. Um, mm. I mean, we were in there in the middle of the day in August and they were pulling down. Oh, and it was ridiculously hot and humid yeah. during that time. But on that area and those bucks tend to use that to their advantage because they typically that specific spot, you know, is really good in October when acorns drop and cause they can just go up in there and just sit there and feed in the same area and everything's pretty consistent for them. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And okay. So what about, uh, what about the food at that, at that time in, in that area? I know you said there's some private ag nearby. Is that what a lot of time you think those are kind of like their destination food source? Or do you think, is there still acorns on the ground too? We had a, a major mass crop this year, especially in your red oaks and chestnut oaks. Um, but you know, I thought we would have a lot more left by now than we do. Um, uh, so, you know, I know they're still there and they're using it, but I, you know, I tend to see those deer, if you can find some greenery in December, that's there, they seem to be eating a lot more green and like from a, a physical side, nutrition side too, I, I think it kind of balances out their digest, digestive tract too, when they've been eating nothing but acorns most of the fall, like they need that green to kind of balance them out. And that's the beauty of this. This is the ag that surrounds this is all pasture ground. So you know, those does are going to be down there eating in that, that green, you know, in that grass. And so the bucks, obviously. So I think it puts together a really good recipe, you know, for a late season, second rut hunt for sure. Yeah. I mean, I see it, I see it quite a bit with like power lines, gas lines, things like that, that have some, you know, green grasses and things that are growing on it, or even like swampy areas that have some different grasses and stuff in there and vines. Like they seem to, to sh- I mean, I find a lot of sheds in those areas too. So it's like, that's kind of, as the season gets later, it seems like they shift to, to, to be doing that. And like, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I do think that acorns are still, you know, to, I think they are still really important to it, but it seems like the green, you know, I've always remember seeing Mark Drury talk about it and not thinking it was relevant because of the land he was hunting versus what I was hunting, but it kind of is at the same time when he always talks about when the, the deer go back to the green and, and it's just what that green is might not be this beautiful field all the time. Sometimes it might be pasture land or gas lines or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't have a lot of high stem camp stuff here like Greenbrier cause we don't do any cuts or anything, but like if you go to areas like Southeastern Ohio that are just full of Greenbrier, those deer wear those green bar that green bar out late season. Um, and you know, I know a couple guys up there kill a lot of big deer consistently and they've, they've told me that I know one guy specifically has killed like four or five, 200 inch deer Lear, Lear McCoy. You've heard of him. Um, yeah, he, he told me every big deer he's killed mature buck up there when he's cut their stomach open, they're primarily full of green briar. Really? Yeah. Well, it makes sense when you see it, they're all nibbled on and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and yeah, I mean, there's, and yeah, Ohio is littered with green briar and, and some areas we're actually starting to get some of it here, which we never really had green briar. And I was just out in an area rifle hunting and I was coming across like, just like one little bush here and a little vine here. And I'm like, Oh no. 
<laughs> it's yeah. good, but it's bad at the same time because you get an area that's overrun with Greenbrier. It's so difficult to uh, pass through. Dude, yeah, that multi-floor rows and stuff. Um, I mean, you think about it, though, in Ohio, like an old buck like that. He's got so much Greenbrier mixed in with hardwoods, he doesn't have to travel far to eat. He can just munch on Greenbrier and acorns when acorns drop, and he doesn't have to go anywhere. Yeah, it makes them super easy to kill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just, they, just, they just stand up and eat wherever they're at. Yeah. Yeah. That's um but you know, going back to you know, you took a break from from this deer after you know, October and when you got into gun season there. And and uh I want to kind of hear about what what you were what you did and kind of what led to you ended up, you know, finding some success doing that. Yeah. So my plan was, you know, I had some out of state hunts I was doing in November. So I kind of quit hunting home, um, like end of October and I started going out of state, you know, I hunted two different States here in the mountains. And, but then, um, before I left on my second trip to this one state, which was like the second week of November, uh, I had this area that I've been focused on, I've been casually scouting it and hunting it for a couple of years, but it's extremely hard to get into. It's, it's two and a half hours to walk into it and it's not super far. It's just really, really rugged. It's, you know, I kept, the deer I ended up harvesting was at 4,800 feet elevation and how I was accessing this spot is you got to come up this waterfall drainage or it's a Creek drainage that goes up and it's just straight up, which is one of my favorite ways to access the mountains is to go up some really gnarly Creek drainage. Cause everything is just channeled into it. Cause this place is literally there's rock walls, 30, 40 feet in sections on the side. So you can easy. I mean, it's not easy access cause you're boulder hopping and dealing with all that crap, but, um, it just allows you to get in there without really bumping a lot of deer. And there's, once you get towards the top of it, there's, um, one little bench that cuts across that essentially deer are using to connect these two fingers and, on both fingers coming down like midway it, there's a lot of evergreens there which aren't very common for us as much as they are for you and i was like man that's a good doe bedding and right there i've always seen some big rubs so this year i went i was like well before i go on this hunt i'm gonna take an afternoon i'm just gonna run in and put some cameras in this area i've never put cameras in there but i've heard through the grapevine there's been some big deer killed in this area you know one i know of was like 172 those in the 160s and i was like it just it's so remote and rugged. It, it, it just, it's a great place to, for a deer to get old. And I was like, I need to, I'm going to focus on that this year. So I went and dropped a regular camera in that first flat. And then up at the top where it comes to the top of that drainage, there's a saddle right there. And all these terrain features just go into that saddle. And there's always a scrape right there on top um, where that all comes together on top of that saddle and I went in there and that scrape wasn't quite opened up yet, but there were some big rubs that were fresh. And I opened that scrape up and put a cell cam on that. Cause even being as remote as it is, I guess it's so high that it gets cell reception in there. And mm -hmm. so, well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX eight, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs 
to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. I went out of town and I didn't have any cell service when I was out of state. And, uh, I mean, I was just so excited to get back and see what was on my cell cam. And then when I was leaving that hunt, uh, as soon as I got reception, my phone just started going off with pictures and I started looking and I was like, Oh, there was like three or four bucks using it. And there was one, it was a really good eight point is what we thought we had one or two pictures of him. Uh, cause I, sh- I share all my stuff with Jordan, my business partner. And I was like, man, that's going to be sweet. So my plan was, to go in there and hunt it um, around Thanksgiving is when I was going to have the time. And we had some crappy weather and then I got COVID. I came back from being out of state solo in a camp by myself, not coming in human contact. I get back from this trip and I get COVID and don't know how, but I couldn't breathe. I attempted to go in there and hunt it one day <clears throat> and started the walk. And it's like, I just can't get in here. Um, I don't have the lung capacity to do it. So I backed out. We got some crappy weather with some fog. Um, and I could tell that it was really fogged in because I was getting my cell cam photos and it was just socked in. But uh, even though I, I, I t- told my girlfriend, I was like, Hey, I'm gonna go hunt Thanksgiving day. I had to be back. I told her I'd be back to cook dinner, everything we could do Thanksgiving. I'd be back around 12 or one. And that's just the perfect recipe for setting yourself up to kill something is like making these promises. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but I started going in there and it was a little warm and it was still foggy. And I was like, you know what? I'm already committed to this. I'm going to at least get up here and check this camera that I haven't been able to check to see if there's anything on that. And then I'll make a decision if I, if, uh, if the fog's, you know, going to, um, release enough to where I feel I can get a good hunt in. And dude, the higher I went up, the worse the fog got. It got so bad in there because this drainage is also choked in areas heavily with rhododendron it, that you, if you get off just a little bit, you're screwed, you know? Um, and it's real steep. You know, there's one spot in here that I got to essentially climb an eight foot wall to get up around this waterfall. Cause you can't go around it. Cause the roto is so thick. You have to be on your hands and knees. So you got to like, essentially like technical climb this thing and you get up there. And I was just so I was pissed off, dude, before I even got up there. I gotten turned around. My app wasn't, I couldn't see anything. You know how when you're in that fog, you have your headlamp on, there's just, you, you don't see nothing. I couldn't see in this one section, I couldn't see 15 feet away from me. And it makes me feel <laughs> small. I mean, I almost got a little anxious about it. Um, but 
and you know how like when you get sweaty and you you like pull up your map to try to check and like your map won't work because your fingers are sweaty and fingers are sweaty yeah yeah and then i was having that problem and i was just so pissed off man like and i finally i didn't even make it to that trail cam i got off off um off my coordinates and i knew i was in the drainage i should be in but i was in the wrong spot and it was just rougher and i was like you know what i'm just gonna keep pushing to the top i get up to the top right about gray light and I sit where I wanted to sit. I, you know, I always hunt off the ground with a gun. And uh, it, the fog was, I could see about 50 yards away in all areas. But I was covering that whole saddle where it'd be travel. And I was like, you know, I don't know how well they're going to move in the fog. But, you know, I'm going to set it out for a while anyway. So I get all my, I put on my puffy pants because it and chain shirts because I'd sweated so much. And I sat down and I'd opened up a spot around me clearing the leaves around this log I was going to sit on. And then I sit down and I get um, organized and I was like, I don't do a lot of blind calling at all. Um, I just feel, especially with archery, you know, the deer are like turkeys, you know, they know where they can get, where they should be able to see something. So blind calling really has never worked for me or, it, or they'll come in downwind of the calling to try to scent check. And sometimes that can throw you off with archery equipment. But I was like, you know what, with all this fog in the, range i have like if anything can hear me and comes to check it out it's going to be in gun range so i was like i'm gonna let out a grunt like i I, so i I let out you know just a long grunt and a couple like and then i kind of scrape some leaves with my foot and i just sit there just like you know got settled in and about seven minutes later i hear and i was like was that a buck and then i hear it again like And I was like, oh, geez, yeah, because I, I could see a buck bedding on either one of these fingers that were going off to that south side that were leading down to that um, other area I told you about that was a, a crossing point. And um, so I get my gun up because I couldn't quite tell exactly where he was. Um, and I just I knew in the general direction. So I got my gun pointed that way. And then I hear him again. And. Um, and at this point, like I was up there to kill a good deer. I want to kill a mature deer, but after hearing that grunting and stuff, I just got excited. And I was like, you know what, whatever shows up, I'm shooting this because of the whole situation. And all of yeah. a sudden I, I see this silhouette break through the, um, through the fog. And I just see this monster body in like horns way above his head. And I was like, damn, I don't care what that is. Like I'm shooting him. And he was like 35 ish yards. I put it, I shoot a two seventy. I put it right behind his shoulder shot and he never even missed a beat walking. He just kept walking. I was like, damn, did I missed this damn thing. And he's walking kind of coming around to ke- catch the wind. Cause the wind was coming out of the North. So he was circling around me and he, he came through and I shot him again at like 20 yards in the shoulder. And this time he like kind of struck up, bucked up a little bit, but kept walking. Yeah. And then he stopped at 15 with his head straight up. And I was like, dang. And I, I put it on him again. And here's the funny part, man. So I was leaving the house and I had three bullets in my gun. And, uh, and I said, well, man, I don't need to grab any more bullets. I ain't going to shoot anything more than three times. So here I am with this last bullet in my gun. And I was like, he was sitting there. I knew I hit him for sure. The second time in the shoulder, just how he reacted and everything. And I was like, do I shoot him again or and run out and go Winchester and don't have any bullets and he runs off and then, you know, he's just wounded and I, I don't have anything to make a final fatal shot. And I was like, well, 
hell with it. I was like, I'm going to go ahead and put another one in him. So I hit him again in the shoulder that time. And this time it got his attention and he like ran over the hill. Then I pretty much sure I heard him crash. And, uh, but I sit there and I was like, dang, man, um, I don't have any bullets. I'm not hundred percent sure this deer is dead. So I called Jordan. This is like seven 30 in the morning. And, uh, I, um, I, um, called Jordan and he doesn't answer. And I call him like twice again. And he's like, Hey, what's up? Uh, my phone's vibrating. I'm still asleep. And I was like, man, I just shot a monster. He's like, you kidding me? And I was like, dude, why the hell would I call you at seven 30 in the morning? You know, I'm not going to bullshit you and say that on Thanksgiving you. day, on Thanksgiving day. <laughs> and I told him the situation and I was out of bullets and he's like, Oh dude, that's so funny. And, uh, so I kind of just collected my thoughts and just waited a minute, you know, gave it about 20 minutes. Um, then I walked to where I originally shot him and I saw some blood there and I was like, that's good. And I kind of walked down to where I thought I'd see him and didn't see him. I went back up and sit there for a second and thought for, you know, give it a little bit more time because I didn't want to bump him if he wasn't dead. And I walked back down there and I'm following this blood, man, and really good blood trail. And, I, and the blood trail kind of stopped a little bit. And I was looking around. I was like, that deer's got to be around here somewhere. And I couldn't see it. And I was like, damn, that's weird. And then I, I looked down and I was like, oh man, there's an antler right there. And I was like, oh shit, that's the damn deer. He had <laughs> fallen on this hill and he had slid down the hill and his body went completely up under this log parallel. So you couldn't, his body blended in with that log. And all I could see was that one piece of horn sticking out. So <laughs> yeah, but he was a man. He was a great buck. He, um, uh, he, his left main beam was 24 inches and he had like 12, 13 inch G twos, I believe. Uh, but he was on his right side. He was missing, um, about a third of his main beam. He'd broken that off. It looked like early in the year just because of how it was broke. Um, mm. he hadn't done it fighting, but just a, honestly a tank of a deer. I didn't expect to, he ended up being the, the eight point we had on camera, but he, he wasn't an eight. He actually was a five point on his left side. He kind of crab clawed out. And then that right side was broken off. So, um, but just a stellar buck, man, like something I wouldn't have thought that I would have killed, like just going in like that. I mean, the body on that thing, I, I'm pretty sure he was pushing 250 before I, you know. Oh my gosh. Just a, I don't know. I, I'll remember that deer coming out of the sil out of that fog for the rest of my life. I've just, it was pretty intense and just awesome experience. And then, by that time, the fog had lifted too a little bit, and I was sitting up there on top of this mountain looking at this deer, and I look out over the valley, and all the fog is settled in the valley, and you just see these mountaintops above it. It's just, it was one of the most picturesque spots I've ever been able to harvest a deer, and there's been so many times I've been in areas like that that just were that puts you in awe just how beautiful it is but i never see anything up there <laughs> you know like you always dream about that that magical you know place and it was just so cool how it all came together and um yeah and then obviously the work starts man like one thing you don't do if you need help is kill something on thanksgiving day because everybody's usually tied up yeah that that <laughs> yeah and then you have the time crunch on needing to get back and, and cook dinner, which, you know, at that point you're, I'm sure you're in your head, you're just ecstatic. And you're just like, I just want to celebrate shooting this deer, but it's like, all right, I made these commitments and, you know, girlfriend at home probably doesn't, you know, she's excited for you, but that's, 
all right, let's transition to Thanksgiving. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Try to realize what work we got a- ahead of us. Cause you know, you don't drag them out up here, man. Like you're, you're, you're packing that sucker out, man. And, and this place is so, it's so sketchy, dude. Like with the amount of leaves that fall and the amount of rocks and amount of like, you know, you and I've talked about this, the amount of branches that are up under the leaves that always run downhill that like, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty agile as far as walking around in uneven terrain, but I go in that place, I'm falling at least three or four times. And so like, I'm factoring that in my head too. um, packing this animal out by yourself, man. Like you put that load on your back and you got to think about what you just came up to come out, man. Like it can be a very dangerous situation. Like you can snap a leg in there pretty easy um, or fall and get hurt, man. So I was having to think about all that stuff and I was like, damn, I'm just going to take my time. I mean, it, but it all worked out. And then I was yeah. having to factor in, I had COVID lungs still. So that, that didn't make it any easier either. <laughs> no, that's, I was just going to add that that does not help. And it, it's funny. You did a video that we had, um, posted on the, the timber ninja page of you, um, as you were packing them out and this hearing your voice could tell that you couldn't breathe very well the, the <laughs> whole time that you were talking on it. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I wouldn't give it. I like it when it ends that way, man. But I ended up getting it out. Uh, I took out the hindquarters, all the tenderloins and the head, and I left the front shoulders and neck in there. And um, I I got all that the first pack out. I got it out and was able to get home by one o'clock. So I fulfilled my Thanksgiving commitments, and then I packed. I hiked in the next day and got the front shoulders and the neck meat. So took me two trips. I probably, I ran out of space. I think like, I don't know how much I was packing. It was heavy. I ain't gonna lie. Um, but I, if I, I I feel I could have got the, all of it out in one trip, but I was just running out of space. What, uh, what pack were you using? I have a, a Exo mountain K three, uh, 4,800, I believe. Um, yeah. So, you know, you start, I don't really stuff stuff in my bag. You know, I put all my meat on the meat shelf and you just run out of space, man. Even with a whitetail, I mean, if you bone them out, but I just didn't take the time to bone it out. I should, probably should have, uh, but I just couldn't get that extra meat on that pack. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's, that's hard altogether with your other gear, which you're, I mean, you're pretty minimalist, but still like having your other gear and all that stuff on your pack and then trying to come out with in, in a deer of that size, that's, that's a whole nother, you know, animal there too. That's, that's kind of like packing out a mule deer almost. It is dude. I mean, and also like in that terrain, like I always strap my gun to my pack and I was, dude, I was cussing so hard coming out cause my, gun and the antlers kept getting caught up in rhododendron so like i i love my gun so much i have a kimber 270 that's super light but it's got a 22 inch barrel and that 22 inch barrel on a pack is not fun in the roto man uh so i am i'm building a new rifle this season i'm gonna build me a um, 350 legend with like one of those 16 inch barrels i think that's gonna be a really good actually i've been talking to your brother about the gun i want and like putting together oh really yeah um so I think that 16 inch barrel is going to be key for mountain hunters. I mean, that's Nathan's using a similar, he's using a Ruger, uh, scout rifle or something in the 450, uh, Bushmaster. And he seems to like that short barrel a lot for getting around in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're not, when you're not shooting 
long distances or anything, you don't really necessarily need the the long the long barrel on it. There, you know, it's it's more about being agile and being able to move through. I mean, I can't even tell you. I don't think I've ever shot a buck in Pennsylvania with a rifle over 150 yards, and most of them have been within 100. My biggest deer was within 20 yards. So it's like, you know, you get in some of those spots, you're not you're not really stretching out that much. No, man. I mean, I've been here for 14 years and I think I've killed around eight to 10 bucks or eight to 10 deer with a a gun up here. And literally dude, they all are under 50 yards. And I think, I mean, one, you know, it's the area where they're going to be is not going to open. It could be very open anyway, but also it's like my mindset. I bow hunt so much that all my setups, I think we were talking about this, I believe Yeah, long ago. It's like, I still have the bow mindset of how I set up with a gun and uh so i I never even look at these areas where i could shoot 150 yards so yeah like i think that 350 bushmaster i mean at 450 bushmaster and at 350 legend you know they're they're supposedly capable of 200 yards which if you're having to shoot a whitetail over 200 yards you know are we really hunting anymore you know like you're not getting close i mean getting close is what really makes it exciting well the the we were talking about that. I think it was on a different call where we were discussing uh, um, our setups for gun season. And that was the same thing with me. Like most of my setups were like, I was like, man, I'm getting too close here. Like (laughs) he's going to fill up my whole scope when I pull it up as far as if, you know, one were to to follow the script and, uh, and, and, but at the same time, it's like, that's where, especially, well, not, not, I mean, you're in your scenario, you're not getting a lot of pressure, but still they, they tend, whether they have pressure or not, they still tend to go with the cover and, and be in those areas. That's one thing I've learned is like in areas that don't have, I've hunted a few areas that don't have a lot of hunting pressure and they still do that. Yeah. You know, they still stick to cover and, and, you know, try to survive like deer do. Yeah. Well, I think too, I was going to add to that. Like, I think there is a way that you can get a long shot. Like to your point, if you're in an area of big open hardwoods where you can look at a ridge line that's coming down like 152, 200 yards out through the open hardwoods, but has like a rhododendron thicket next to it, you can catch them on that Mm. edge. Maybe that's like, cause they're always, they may not be in the thick, but they're right next to the thick most of the time when you see them. Yeah. Or like in a scenario for, for us in Pennsylvania where you could shoot further is if you get up high in a tree and you're overlooking like a clear cut, that's like three to eight years old it the, you know, the trees might be seven, eight foot tall and you know, they feel like they're in thick cover, but you can see above it. And if they hit like a little opening or a logging trail out there a little ways, you can still, you know, be able to get a shot off. So that's a mm-hmm. little bit of a different scenario, but no, that's, that's, that that was an awesome story. I remember getting that that picture on Thanksgiving, and and that that deer's one. It's an absolute tank, and just like the picture you took of it laying there on the ground with the mountains in the background and the fault. Like, man, I can't think of a better place to kill a deer. No, I've I was yeah, I was pumped, and I'm not big. Like, I've never really had any of my deer scored. Uh, Jordan loves scoring stuff. Like, I'm not interested in the total score, but there are certain things I like to know that measurements of like i like measurements of main beam length like that's something that's always cool to me i I like a deer it's got long main beams and i I like the g2 length and mass that's the only thing i really care about but jordan put a tape on him and like even with that broken 
you know, from a numbers perspective, even with that broken right main beam, I think he still scored him at like 135. So he would have been somewhere up around 140s. Uh, I think yeah. if he was fully intact, somewhere close. Um, just Man, a yeah, outstanding that's, that's buck a dang right good here. Deer. Yeah, yeah. Right here. No, I mean, really anywhere. Yeah. Well, the, the cool thing about him, you know, we have some deer that were brought in here. They say the old timers say from like Wisconsin in the Midwest. And then we have our pure mountain genes. And you kind of see that. Like I've killed bucks here that look like they come from the Midwest, got that same Midwest looking frame. But then our mountain bucks, they're weird. Like all their nothing on them straight. Like it's all, I call it spindly. Like all the tines kind of wave. The main beams have some crooks and waves and whatever reason, Jordan made this point the other day. I don't know if it's scientific or not, but a lot of our mountain bucks, all their points go forward. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And he was like, yes, yeah, because they're always walking with their head down when they're going downhill. So, you know, gravity pulls <laughs> them that way. And it. It's funny. You start seeing some of these like pure mountain genetic deer. They all do go forward like that a lot of times. Um, but he was pure mountain genetics. Like all of his tines just had some twists to him and stuff. It was, it was really cool. I mean, he's a, a hardcore dude. That's just like very passionate about hunting mountain deer. Like he definitely fits, fits my, you know, my standards. And I don't know what it is, man, about, about me. I can never kill these pretty deer like these beautiful, like this symmetrical, everything looks good. Like everything I kill is either missing an eye or he's broken or going downhill or something like that. Like I've got two one-eyed deer that I've killed up here that were mature. Um, and they all have something going on. I killed another one. One of those one-eyed deer had a broken main beam. This one's broken. Like I just can't kill one. That's just perfect. Um, but <laughs> well, the, they talking about the, the way that the antlers on his mountain deer, like kind of have these curves and waves to them. Mason, my cousin Mason has this, he, he calls them, he calls them acorn deer. And he, he, he goes, I can tell whenever a deer comes from a heavily acorn, like big woods area, he's like, they just have this certain, that's the way in Pennsylvania, at least looks like, cause we have areas that, you know, areas I hunt that have no oak trees that are all browse. And then there's areas with acorns. And he's like, those are acorn deer when they have these like goofy looking kind of like just waves, almost like, like, like the wind was blowing and it adds a little wave to the rack sometimes in the beams. Yeah. Well, it's like our trees, man, like our trees on these mountains that are windswept, they all crook, you know, especially chestnuts, yeah. chestnuts get big crooks to them, which, you know, it makes it hard for setting up a lot of your traditional tree stands. And cause for us, you know, cause like saddle platforms and, you know, lock-ons that have that post, you, you sometimes can't get them in those crooks or those certain angles, you know, like, cause the bar will be like that. There's no way to get that platform to level out, you know? So it makes it hard for setups. Yeah. As of today. As of today. That's all, that's all you'll add to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not allowing you to say anything else on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, <right. laughs> oh no, that's, that's super cool. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, you still got some hunting time left. I got some hunting time. I'm going to go to Ohio, um, in January with muzzleloader. 
do some late season stuff there. I was planning on going with Johnny, but he just told me the other day that he might be in Iowa during that time. So I don't know if he'll be there or not. So who knows where he'll be? He'll be somewhere in the country. He's like a gypsy. He is. He, I mean, I called him prime time. You know, that's my nickname for him is prime time, but I think, you know, gypsy's a better term better for him because he's he called me the other night sunday night and I, I was on the phone with chris perino and johnny sent me a text he's like call me right back and i was like all right i'll call you when i get off phone i got off phone he's like what are you doing i was like oh, i'm just talking to buddy gonna you know be hunting here he's like you want to run to west virginia with me for a muzzleloading hunt for the next two days i was like dude i can't i can't just up and do things like you you because know, he hasn't stopped all year man um no and all no, I he called me do, the same thing. <laughs> yeah, no, he said it. He's like, I just called Bo. Bo's not want to go. So he's like, you want to go? And I was like, man, I can't just up and drive eight hours tomorrow for two days. You know, I got other things that he'd do. Um, but I, because my goal, I was just wanting to try to kill more deer than Johnny this year. And I, I would have been close. Like, I, you know, I, I did a November muzzleloader hunt uh, in Virginia. Um, and I did, I missed a really good eight point at 15 yards on my muzzleloader, which I'm like still i don't understand how it happened but uh i would have been close man if i got that one and i'm gonna kill this one at the end i'd have been close oh well yeah he he, he called me and the same thing and it apparently called me uh my brother you like and he's like yeah hey, i want to go to west virginia and I'll, i was just with him the night before so i was just with him and he's like yeah i want to go i'm gonna go to west virginia for a couple of days and i'm like johnny i said I've been hunting a lot and like, I need to work. Like I need to, I need to get back into a schedule and, and everything. And he's like, okay, well, um, I'll be down there for a couple of days and I'll be in Ohio over the weekend. If you want to come down there, shotgun <laughs> season, I'm like, man, I can't, yeah, I just need, I need a couple of weeks of breathing room here. And he's just like the energizer bunny with it and just, Dude. just goes. And man, he's, that's, he's good at what he does. No, I know. I mean, I know you and I both have hunted really hard, but we really haven't held a candle to Johnny and he's still no. like got, he's got that motivation. There's, there's no, there's, he's like Rocky. He, he ain't heard the bell, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. He'll never let me live it down. Where like, it was like six, seven years ago in the early phases of knowing Johnny when he wanted me to go to Ohio with him, like January 24th. And he's like, going to go down on a hot late season? I was like, Johnny, I, honestly, I'm done. Like, I'm I'm ready to be done for the year. And he's like, what do you mean? You still got a tag there. And he's just, you know, he's he's on me. He's like, you can't you can't quit until all the seasons are closed. I'm like. <laughs> well, no. I mean, there's a reason yeah, he's like a one percenter. You know, it's just that effort. Um, yeah, 100%. No, I, I mean, I think, you know, like our whole pro staff team that we put together this year, like everybody's like kind of that die hard, which I get really excited about. Um, yeah, everybody's had a great year, man. I'm super stoked about all the hard work that people put in and they're reaping the rewards, you know? Yeah. Oh, most definitely. We, and we definitely have, uh, a really dang good team of product testers, <laughs> you know, when yeah. you guys got guys got like Johnny and, 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 uh, Nathan and the rest of the guys that are like spending as much time in the woods that they are and have hunted for as long as they have, th they're going to tell you what works and what doesn't work and know what you know and then like the both of us and the rest of the team like there's a lot of a lot of experience and time spent in the woods to get to know that you can't go out in the woods with a product for a couple days and be like oh this works or it doesn't work it's like 
no, you need to try it in different conditions. And, you know, the, the trees that you hunt are different than the trees that I hunt. And that, you know, that's what we're putting into and what we're putting into the products and trying to, to make stuff that, you know, I, I like, you've said this before, but it's like, if you make something that works in the place, like you just talked about, you're, cl- you're climbing up through waterfalls and screeing cliffs and all this stuff. That's the worst case scenario for a whitetail hunter. Yeah. Now, if you make products that work in those environments, they're going to work in farm country. They're going to work in other places. So that's that's uh, it, it's a good way to a good testing grounds. Yeah, I mean, you're making purpose built products at the end of the day. I mean, you think that's the way you should, but I mean, you can just look at what products come to market from companies and like how many recalls or like generations they have. Like you can tell they didn't put that amount of field work in, and you know. In my opinion, like whatever people can beat me up about this, you know, like I think our team is very rounded with a lot of experience in the field. Um, and we, we, we really practice what we preach about hunting hard and it shows in our products. Like, you know, we've had these sticks out for four years now and we've had like six failures out of thousands sold, you know, like failures are going to happen, but things work like our stuff cams, our platform cams, cause it took us two years to develop it. You know, like it costs a lot of money to go through that developmental stage, but you end up with the right product. And if you compare other companies out there and see, like you can see who does that and who doesn't. I mean, the only two people that really come to mind for me that make products that I can tell do that is Lone Wolf Custom Gear and Dan Infault and the Beast Gear. Like their products, those both of those teams are hardcore passionate hunters and you can tell it in their products. And, you know, that's really what... I see for, you know, from our company, like, and while we do what we do, we don't do it necessarily just for money. Like it's great to make money, but like I'm, and I know everybody else involved is very passionate about what we produce and, you know, and we've spent the time in the woods. It's the, it's the law of 10,000. You can't reach excellence unless you've done something either 10,000 hours or 10,000 times. Like you got to put the time in like, and that time and no offense to anybody, that time of learning what products actually work in the real woods isn't time put in sitting over a food plot. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and, and really it comes down to being in, and like you just, what I think what you're saying there too, is like walking in, uh, a, a nice groom path and going in and, and setting up in a tree that you've set up in a thousand times like that. Yeah, that's your product should work in that conditions. It's like, okay, now you're going through, you have to go through rhododendron or mountain laurel or a clear cut and briars and get through this spot and then get there and figure out how to efficiently get up this tree when you're close. You think a deer might be bedding over there, get up there quietly, slip in. This tree might not be exactly what you think it is, but can you make it work and still be comfortable and be able to, to sit it out for that period of time? And that's, and, and again, that's from the beginning, why you and I connected so much. And I wanted to be a part of this team and, and building this stuff because, you know, we were on a call before doing this of like looking at products going forward and we're working on, you know, a cycle of, you know, going to be working on a cycle of three, four years out of products because we have too many ideas and not enough time to be able to, to implement them and, and build these things. So it's like building these goals and getting, you know, testing years and, and time in the field within it before it comes out, you know, you know, you've been, you've been criticized a bunch for some of the, the products that, uh, people are requesting that are just taking a long time to come out. And it's like, that's because it's, 
you find something that's not working exactly like you want, you could release it, but it's like, let's keep it and refine it until it gets to, to satisfaction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always easy to do something that's already been done and like, just kind of change it a little bit, but like, you got to find like, what's, 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 what's a problem in a current product that you can make better for most consumers that will see that's a problem too. And like, it takes time, man. I mean, like the beauty that I, I find with our company is like, we have enough ideas that we're not going to run out of ideas. I don't think we'll, we just don't have the money to execute all the ideas that we have, you know, whereas a lot of yeah. people, if they haven't put that time in, they run out of ideas pretty early and they end up buying ideas from other people and stuff like that. And just rushing on the market. And like, that's not the way I want to run a business. It's like, it's not the way I want to hunt either. I don't want somebody to tell me, Hey, I got a 180 inch deer on my land. You want to come shoot it? Like that just wouldn't mean much to me. Like I'm, I get the satisfaction after, out of the grind of doing anything more than I do the end result, to be honest with you. Um, it's like hunting deer. I love these deer so much. Like I feel bad when I shoot them sometimes at the end. Uh, it's just because like that dude's, you know, he's thugged his life out to live. And then I come in here and whack him and not to say like, I'm against shoot him, but it's like, sometimes I wish I could just throw him back, you know, like a fish. <laughs> um, and you know, it's like, but the same thing, you know, it's like with the gear, like, I love the whole process of testing. It's like the sketchy part of testing, man. Like, you know, I was, you know, we've got some new sticks we're working on for instance. And like I had one fail that I knew was going to fail this year when I was out hunting, man, and that would make your butthole pucker up when you're like halfway up a tree and all of a sudden it, the stick bends and you slide down. You're like, Oh, am I going for a ride or not? And, <laughs> you know, you, but when you're doing this stuff, like, I mean, I think a lot of that, you know, for me being a rock climber is like, I think very cautiously of how I climb and I think about like, if something was to kick, like I'm going to be okay. Um, so you really have to think about that. And, you know, it's just so fun though, to start in this, you know, having the Timber Ninja man, like it, we're at this point now, like being able to walk in the woods and pretty much everything I'm using to mobile hunt is something that we've created. And that, that just makes me so stoked, man. Like, from the platform to the sticks to now the backpack and all that stuff. And I do get criticized because I, I like to show people what we're doing as long as we're far enough advanced where somebody, you know, when these copycats can't go ahead and copy and paste what we're doing, I like to keep, you know, our customers informed, you know, like, of Hey, this is what we're working on and bringing them into that process. And some of them, they get excited and yeah, and they get a little irritated. It's like, when is this coming out? When's this coming out? But it's like, we're not going to bring it out until we feel like we've, we've, executed everything that we feel like we can but you're still gonna have some people that don't like what you have you know like it's just it's not right for them which is beautiful because we have so many choices these days yeah and that's and exactly right like it's it's purpose built and some some of the stuff's just not going to be right for everybody and that's the that's the nature of it and and you know yeah it's funny we we have these internal conversations about showing gear we're working on like from both jason me and jason's perspectives we want to show the customers like what we're working on and get feedback as we're going and, you know, kind of create that buzz around it and see, you know, what, what do we think is going to work? Is this worth, you know, is, do other people want this? Like we want it, you know, and th that type of idea, thinking of it from the business perspective and being able to kind of pull those curtains back that I feel a lot of companies have up. The problem that you run with that is you can have companies that have a way bigger budget and can produce something overseas much faster 
and be able to, you know, it might not, it's not going to be as good of a product, but they can still push something out and, you know, beat, you know, necessarily beat in a market just because we, we don't have that capacity from a, a, a time and money standpoint at this, this point to be able to put those things out extremely fast. So we've had to be kind of, you know, show what we can, but some things have been a little bit more tight lipped than others, uh, until, until we can get ourselves protected. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're doing the thorough prototyping and everything like a product, you know, a lot of people are like, how does something end up so expensive? It's not just what it costs to make it. It's how much money you put into it to get it to that point. Like, you know, with our ledge, like I forgot how many prototypes we had made of that thing, but you know, it was multiple thousands of dollars of just prototypes. Like, cause when you're dealing with metal and stuff, you, you make one run. If it doesn't work, you got to scrap that one and go build a new one, you know? So it's like, um, that ends up being costly. Uh, it's like sticks, you know, like prototyping a new stick out of aluminum, you know, you're gonna be looking at just from a machine shop charge, for just one stick, you're gonna be looking at, you know, around 300 bucks. And like, I was so confident on this one design that I was like, yeah, just run us six of them. And then we'll, I'll send two to three different people. Well, we ran them and they definitely failed. So <laughs> I just wasted all that money, you know? Um, but we went back to the drawing board and, uh, made it right. And now we've got a solid new stick, you know? Um, but yeah, it's crazy. Like the stuff that we've made, man, like I was telling you, I was taking some new sticks out yesterday and get to the tree and realize I didn't have my stick strap, that magnetic stick strap that goes onto the saddle. And I was like sitting there fumbling around, figuring out how I was going to get up the tree without that. So you get so accustomed to using something that you've made. You, you, you don't realize when you have it, how good it is for you until you don't have it. And you're like, Oh shit. Like, this sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I run into that. Um, but it's just so fun, man. Like I love designing this stuff and I hate running the business, but I love the design work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's what that's what you need is somebody that can, you know, do the, the business aspect of it and then just work on the design. I mean, that's the, that, that would be the ultimate goal. Just build products. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we, you know, we're putting that in place, you know, we're hiring a, part-time CFO this year and to cut our costs on our machine goods, you know, we're looking at buying a percentage into a machine shop so we can kind of reduce those costs, you know, because we definitely are invested in innovation and making our stuff in the U S and that's going to be, you know, starting to put our money where our mouth is, I feel is important. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so difficult um, and not to, to complain about it, but for anybody listening, like you look at Timber Ninja products are, are expensive and it's like one like jason just talked about a lot of the reasons the design and the prototyping and everything that goes into it but just the cost to make those things in the u.s and have them done right is extremely expensive i can promise you there's not these giant margins that that we're all you know sitting fat and pretty off of you know making profits off of these things i could tell you that for free but it's it's hard to do it but that's you know, in our opinion, that's the right way to be able to do it, especially when you're dealing with something where someone's life is, you know, associated and tied to some of the products that you're, that you're making. And, and that's also why the educational aspect of it and what we're trying to do. And we started doing this year, but going forward, continuing the education on, on not just 
education on products and selling products, but education on hunting and, and mobile hunting and elevated hunting to do it safely and do it effectively so that you don't have, even if there was a failure of some sort, that you can get out of that relatively unscathed and still be able to go home and uh, be fine about it. And that's that's super important to both, I know, to both of us. And we talked about that a little bit in the, the podcast we did back in February with both of our backgrounds having, you know, fall protection and, and safety backgrounds. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, talking about the profit difference, man, I, I, I became friends with a guy that makes some hunting products that are, you know, not whitetail hunting products, but they're machine products. And he was doing it all in the U.S. and running everything around to different machine shops to be anodized, to be etched, all this stuff. And then he took his, pro- his products over to um, China and he was trying to convince me to do that, which is just not going to happen for us. Uh, and even though like our business advisors are like, oh, you should look at taking this overseas. You increase your margin. But he was telling me, he's like, I'm making eight times the money off my product. And it comes to my warehouse, fully packaged everything. Whereas, you know, we got to go source packaging from one company, you know, like all these different things to make it work. Um, <laughs> but I will, you know, when we started this, you know, we put it out there, we were going to be American made as much as we can. We're not cutting corners and we're going to stick to that. Cause it's just, I'm a man of my word. If I say I'm going to do something and I'm going to stick to it, like I'm going to stick to that. Even if it, it, it maybe isn't the best for us financially. Um, you know, that's, what's important to me. Like, you know, there's people I know of like they're saddle making, they're claiming a U.S. made saddle, but they're importing their saddle bags in from China to be put onto the American made saddle and calling it American made. Like we're never going to pull that kind of bullshit. Like uh, it's just not ever going to be part of our, our MO. Yeah, no. And, and, and I want to urge anybody, you know, listening to, um, definitely one sign up for the, the newsletter, the email newsletter at timber ninja outdoors.com. And then also reach out to us, you know, via, via email, there's like a, um, uh, a box or whatever, contact us thing there with ideas or anything. I mean, we're, we're open books on these things and, and like to be connected with the people that are actually doing the hunting and, and spending the time and spending their hard earned money on products, uh, like for, from a feedback perspective or anything else, like we, we love to hear that kind of stuff. And that's, what's, what's cool about being a, a, a small company to, to, to be able to do that. Yeah. We can be nimble. I mean, like for our new sticks we're coming out with, like, you know, we built these originally, the original sticks I built based on what I wanted. Right. And, you know, we did extremely well with it. You know, it was the first carbon fiber really besides a climbing stand it was the first carbon fiber stick or stand or anything in the industry. Besides when old man made the climbing stand, which it was great. It's a great stick. A lot of people love it. Um, it's done really well, but like we have also taken the feedback we've gotten from consumers and applied that now to the second, you know, new stick we're going to come out with. So, you know, like, yeah, that feedback from everybody is great, you know, um, but you also like everybody's willing to give you some feedback and what they would do if it was their company. Right. So you got to just like yeah. take all these comments and essentially funnel them down into, you know, a spreadsheet and kind of like prioritize, like, what am I hearing the most? Right. All right. Yeah. I need more foot room. Okay, cool. All right. It's not that hard. We'll make some more foot room here. You know, like little things like that. I need something that stacks better, more compact. Cool. Yep. That makes sense for us too. So like, but like doing this one little spinoff for, one guy that one sticks or whatever, like we are accommodating some stuff for the one stickers on this stick, but uh, 
you know, we, we're not that custom where we can make one offs for everybody. There are people out there who do that. Like, you know, um, uh, dude out on a limb, he'll make you a custom stick. No problem, but you're going to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but Jason, first of all, I didn't think, I didn't think we were going to tell everybody about, you know, new stick coming, but, uh, you know, I guess we let the cat out of the bag there a little bit. Oh, well, yeah. I, I was <laughs> it's, just random. It, uh, no, it's all right. Uh, we're we're far enough along with that that that's not a that's not a big deal at all. Um, but no, that's and, and that's what's what's uh, again what's cool about building these products and talking to people and and like you said, there is definitely uh, um, having to go through the the amount of messages or you know thoughts on gear and trying to find out what is the most common trends and things that want to be changed. Can't make one offs of everything or, you know, there's certain things that I would like that probably nobody else wants and you can't, you know, please everybody from that speak, but I'm, I'm really, really pumped on, uh, on those new ones coming out. And like I said, the, the ones that, that have been out for four years, they've been out for four years in the same iteration for a reason, because they're good. It's just trying to continually push that envelope and, and continually make better. Innovation, education, conservation. That's the three pillars of us. And, you know, we're going to own up to that every day we can. Yeah. I mean, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming out, um, this year. I'm excited and, years to follow are looking pretty good too we'll see <laughs> yeah oh, most definitely and we we are planning on being at some more uh, events and stuff this year so people can come check out the products and and do that and any of the the, the timber ninja products if you're not sure about it you can order it and was it 30 days that you can you can turn around and return it if it's not what what you thought so if you wanted to try something out you know that's a another method which i don't know if we've i think we've only had a couple if anything that have been returned and it was mostly because of sizing yeah we've had saddles sizing stuff on saddles that's it but yeah you know we've always had that out there but like I, i mean honestly out of the thousands of orders that we've done over the last few years uh you know, like honestly, like return wise, I bet you it's less than 20. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's what I look at, like from a failure rate, like there's no way around a product not failing at some point when you sell enough of something like I I don't think there's anybody that has a clean record of nothing ever going wrong, but I feel very happy on the percentage of our, you know, failure rate, you know, for the pro, you know, the stick has been the one that's out there the longest and I'm real happy with that, you know, never had to do a recall or, um, you know, didn't make any changes to it really. It's just it, what we released is what, what we still have and like cost a lot getting to that point, but you know, that's the way we need to run the business. I feel. Yeah. I don't, I don't want, I don't want our consumers being our product testers. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Thank you for coming on again, Jason. I really appreciate it. And I urge everybody that is listening to, uh, to go follow along at, uh, Timber Ninja Outdoors, wherever you're at on social media, um, YouTube. And then definitely the, the email list is, is a big one. We try to put out information there. And, and whenever we come out with new products, doing some live Q and A's and some different things there to try to, to try to, you know, 
get back and answer your questions about products. So that's what, what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Me, e- the newsletter email list is highly important. I think if you want to stay up to date, cause we are amongst that group going to start sharing a lot more along our process of getting these products to the finish line, you know, kind of giving people a sneak peek, uh, I think is good, you know, cause everybody feels like they're a part of the process. You know, I like that. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, cool. Thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, buddy. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.